Tonight we began to tackle the New Testament book of Philippians, and uh, you may have noticed on the back of your river guide, we were really ambitious, and we were going to do the first 11 verses, and so we read them anyways, but uh, you know me, and so we're hanging out in uh, the first verse tonight, so it should be good. Uh, so the intention is to spend the next two and a half to three months through the book of uh, Philippians. It might turn into like a decade, we'll see, so it, it should be a good time together. Um, What's going on is, is Paul here is writing the, the church of Philippi, a church that he had started some 10 or so years earlier. And uh, the truth is that there is so much packed into this little four-chapter book that we really could take a full year. I mean, it is, it is really, really dense, but we're going to take somewhere between 10 to 12 weeks and uh, get through this. And I would just encourage you, if you're not plugged into a connection group, uh, to consider joining one of those connection groups. If you've never done it, give it a month. I, I really think after a month, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy it and, and see that it's very beneficial for you. So uh, give it a month, and what we'll do is we'll work out what we're talking about here a little more uh, together in community. And so if you have things that maybe we can't tackle because we're only spending 10 to 12 weeks and not a decade, maybe you can work those things out together um, in your group and community. And uh, see, our connection groups are a really big part of our DNA here as a church. We really believe that everybody should jump in and be a part of this. We, we date that all the way back to, to Acts chapter 2. It shows that they were gathering large in the temple, and then they were going and, and doing this in their homes together. And so we want to, to really follow the scriptures and be faithful to that. So we'd encourage you to jump into some kind of small group. Uh, we think our connection groups would be a great option uh, for you to do that. So um, if you're interested in that, again, that white card, the connection card, you can grab that. And you can uh, let us know. There's a spot at the bottom that, that just to let us know that you're interested. And we'll, we'll contact you and just say, here's, here's one near you. And you can jump into that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we pray? Let's ask for God's grace that we might really hear his words, receive them, and apply them. So we'll get into Philippians then. It should be fun. God, we love you. And we just are, are really thankful for the night that we have um, together to, to worship you, to look at your word. And God, I pray that you would be honored in everything that takes place in this room, in uh, the preaching of the word, in the song, in the way, in the readiness of our hearts and how we receive your word. I, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in it all. But probably more important than any of that, that as we leave tonight and we go home, that we would live this out, Lord. That you would be honored not just for a couple of hours on Sunday, but that you would be honored throughout the course of our week. And so, Lord, I pray that... Uh, in order for that to happen, that you would really illuminate your scriptures tonight and, and speak to our hearts in a, in a very real and, and practical way. And so we'll commit it to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight what we're going to do is uh, we're going we're gonna to lay down some groundwork for the book of Philippians. So should be fun. Here's what's, here's what's happening. Uh, Paul, again, is writing this letter to uh, this church that he started in the city of Philippi. If you want to get some more reading, and I would really challenge you to do this, write down Acts chapter 16. Go through Acts chapter 16 and, and read that and you'll kind of get some of the background. What happens is uh, Paul and his uh, ministry partner Silas and then this young boy that they just freshly picked up named Timothy, they go in and are doing some work there in Philippi for, for Christ. And we see in Acts 16 there that Philippi is kind of a leading city in uh, the region of Macedonia. And uh, when we started this church just a little over a year ago, uh, we studied Acts chapter 16 a lot because Boston is a leading city in our region. It's often referred to as the Athens of America. It's very much an educational capital of, uh, of America. It's got a lot of political influence, a lot of cultural influence. It's certainly the hub of 
New England, and so that was the same story for Philippi. And so we studied Acts 16 a lot. We also read through Acts 16 quite a bit because of Paul's strategy. It's very clear in Acts 16. As you read through Acts 16, as Paul and his team are in Philippi, they're doing a lot of praying, doing a lot of praying. They're also meeting people and talking to people about Jesus, the hope that they have. And, and then they're, uh, they're then going, when people come to faith, they'll then go talk to their family members and tell them about Christ. And then we see families baptized. It's a really beautiful thing, and God starts to move. And so we kind of say, let's follow that strategy. It seems like the appropriate strategy. And so we've done uh, quite a bit of the same kind of thing that Paul did in Philippi. Paul's uh, church plant core team, we start to see those guys laid out in, uh, in Acts chapter 16. First of all, we have this woman named Lydia. So I said Paul and his team, they prayed a lot. They go outside of the city a little bit and they start to pray. And while they're praying, they start interacting then with some, some women who were there. And one of the women, her name was Lydia. She was a very wealthy woman because she sells purple. And so purple was a big deal back then. Not my color now, but maybe back then I, I would have been into it. Who knows, right? I'm more like, you know, a, a blue guy today. I don't know. Maybe she made a lot of money. She was selling blue today. But purple was her thing. She made a lot of money. And then uh, she comes to faith and her family, they're baptized. And then shortly thereafter, we see Paul and his team. They're still in Philippi. They're going once again to pray. And it says that there's this, this young, demon-possessed, fortune-telling girl who is following them for, it says, for many days. And while she's following them, she's basically saying, these men are, are of God and they're here to tell you the way to salvation. She's just saying that over and over and over and over again, which is true. But Paul just got annoyed. And so he just looks at her. Demon, come out of her. And the demon comes out of her in the name of Jesus. And so now she's, I guess, on the, the church plant core team. And so she's now a part of the, the team. And then we also see right there, shortly thereafter, because this, this girl no longer has a demon that's enabling her to, to tell the future inside of her. I guess her agent was really ticked because they couldn't could get gigs anymore, right? And so the agent then uh, gets this girl or gets Paul and Silas thrown in jail because he was really ticked because they weren't making money anymore. And so he gets them thrown in jail. But guess what? God had another plan. And so while they're in jail, earthquake comes. The Holy Spirit does a big thing. And they're free. The jailer is, is freaking out because he's responsible for these, this, these people in, in prison here, in jail. And so he starts, he's getting ready to kill himself. Paul and Silas tell him about Jesus. He comes to faith, and then they baptize him and then his whole family. And so we got this beautiful little church that's born out of all this craziness. And so the core team is Lydia and her family. I guess she's running the women's ministry for this new church. Then you got this demon-possessed girl who I guess... Maybe she's running the recovery ministry, I don't know. And then the jailer, of course, is going to be running the prison ministry. You know how that is, go in and tell them about Jesus, I guess. And so there's, there's a little core team. There's a little bit of a background for you of the church of Philippi. But then as we get into this book, uh, this letter to them some years later, we, we see that the, really the major theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And in fact, the word joy or rejoice appear 14 times in this little book with only four uh, chapters. And so... Hence the name Unconventional Joy. We're going to learn about unconventional joy uh, for the next uh, couple of months together. And, you know, thinking on joy for us is really, really timely. Uh, We're coming off of the holiday season, uh, probably the most indulgent period of our year every year, as you can imagine, indulgent in many ways, food and and gifts, and and, it's just crazy, right? And and so my, my kids are the first round of grandkids for both sides of our family. So my wife's family and my family. And we're even, I was thinking about this, even 
our cousins. So for all of our cousins, our kids are the first round of, of grandkids. And so the gifts just never stopped coming. I mean, last year was funny because we traveled to different places for Christmas. Last year, it was like two weeks in after Christmas, and my kids still thought it was Christmas every day of the year from that point for the rest of their lives, and we had to really train them otherwise. And so the, the gifts just kept coming from us, and then from one set of grandparents to the next set of grandparents, and then uh, from the aunties and the uncles. And because the cousins didn't have kids yet, we also had from the great aunties and the great uncles. It just, it just kept coming and coming and coming, and all the gifts were lavished uh, upon them. But now, here we are, and we've started to face, you know, the, the post-Christmas lull, or, or breakdown, maybe we could even call it that, where batteries start to die, toys start to break, they've kind of lost their flashiness and that initial uh, satisfaction. Because we all know that when you get new things, there's kind of this, this quick surge of artificial joy that comes when you get something new, whether girls, it's it's an outfit, or guys, it's some kind of electronic device. There's, there's this quick surge of yes, and then it goes away uh, very fast, too. And so, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to insult your intellect. Uh, I know a lot of you guys in the room, and I fully uh, believe that you guys understand that joy isn't found in stuff. However, it doesn't stop us from tripping up from time to time and, and just kind of having these indulgent moments where we try to find joy in, in our stuff. And so we maybe get a quick fix by some kind of impulsive purchase or uh, a quick fix by let's go out to eat and get, get some food. I really could use that. I'm just rough day or whatever. I don't know. Quick fix by some kind of experience, whether it's a movie, you just escape via the movie or a, a concert or a game on TV. We're just trying to escape things oftentimes. And, and so not that we always are doing this, but from time to time we use these things to, to, to kind of help us pursue Joy. And, and what I want to do, I guess for starters here, is maybe just give you uh, three big avenues that I've kind of seen uh, that we kind of take to pursue artificial joy. Uh, the, the first one is stuff, and then there's steps, and then there's situations. So let's talk about stuff uh, for just a second. Again, I don't want to insult your, your intellect, but uh, I, I know most of us kind of get it. We see past stuff, but uh, you know, we, we, we see the ads all the time. So let me throw you, uh, we'll have a little fun for just a minute here. Um, no, no fun allowed after that, but um, just kidding. So we got our boy Tommy right here. I'm making some of you girls blush right now, but uh, there's our, our very own Tom Brady. And uh, we all kind of get it. We understand what's going on with the marketing here. Like we, we, we do, I think, see past that. I mean, we understand that, that, that if we get a pair of Uggs, it's not going to make us happy or successful or good looking or, or athletic or manly like Tommy. Right? We get that even though I think his manliness is kind of in question, the fact that he's wearing Uggs. I mean, that's kind of weird. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We also understand that a house isn't going to do it for us, right? I, I, again, I don't want to insult your intellect. We understand a, a new flat screen TV is not going to do it for us. A, a piece of jewelry, ladies, right, is not going to do it for you. A wardrobe, uh, some kind of lifestyle. We, we get it, right? There's no joy, I mean, when we, we really sit down to analyze, we, we realize, I think you all understand, that that's kind of a false joy, just kind of a quick, uh, a, a quick fix that, that we get. And um, here's the thing. Stuff is not bad. I'm not trying to say that going to a movie is bad or going out to eat is bad. Stuff is not bad. Paul says, Romans 14, 14, I know that, that nothing in itself is unclean, right? Nothing's unclean. Your stuff... You're not bad for wearing a nice outfit, girls, wanting to look pretty. That's not a bad thing. But your, your motives and what you're trying to get out of it, 
we have to really discern that. And so again, I think you got that. But let's move on because we, we get it with stuff. But there's a, a, a plethora of non-material things that we often find ourselves trying to pursue uh, joy in. And so we move uh, from stuff to steps. Let's talk about steps for a second. It's a little more complicated. So magazine after magazine after magazine, book after book, uh, tell you things like your seven steps to peace or, or five steps for your best life now or how to get inner peace or psychology today recently released uh, 10 steps to happiness and fulfillment. Or here's one for you right here, 50 steps to simple happiness. It's actually uh, in, in January, I believe, of last year. This one was released. And so there's 50 steps for you. So if five is not enough, now you can just you know, spend 50 days trying to find it. And uh, it's crazy some of the stuff. And, and, and some of the, these guys are experts, apparently. So the experts are life coaches, experts. Uh, acupuncturists are you know, adding to this list. Um, Yoga instructors, uh, personal trainers, you know, so he's 18, didn't go to college, started working at the Y, and he's giving us advice on, on how to pursue happiness, right? And so um, here's some of the steps. I'll just give you a few. Um, one of them I was reading, make your bed. Make your bed, and then it gives this elaborate spiel because order in your life brings inner calm, right? So you get it? So there's a way to get some joy. Next one is uh, do random acts of kindness. And so he gives a suggestion, like you could if you're walking down the streets here, and you see a, a meter cop walking around, and you see a, a, a meter nearby that they're expired, put a quarter in, and that'll start to push you towards joy because doing acts of kindness will really begin to satisfy you and bring about joy. So that's one. Uh, another one is, uh, it's actually in there, is that you always say yes to your partner is what it says. So we'll just leave it at that. It just says always say yes to your partner. And then it goes on and says, but if you don't have a partner... Throw a date for yourself and go on a date with yourself. And I'm sorry, but I, there's nothing more depressing in my mind than being single and going on a date with yourself. I, I just don't, I don't know. That's awful. And yeah, and you know, I'd even put, I'd even put religion under, under this category because religion is man's attempt to do this, 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 and this to buy our uh, favor or buy God's favor, uh, whoever God is. And so think back to 9-11. Uh, after 9-11, statistics say that the world just went, or especially our country, just increasingly spiritual. They, they, there was a big kind of a turn. And, and so many started to see those images of people in windows and then jumping out and falling to their death and just being stunned by that. And so many people naturally, and I think it's for the good initially, um, began to turn towards uh, asking questions about, so what happens when it's, all over. And people started to say, well, maybe I should try to live a certain way. Maybe I should do this, 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 and this. And maybe that will earn God's favor. And that's what we call religion. And so we kind of have this mindset that we have to repay God for all the, the wrong deeds that we've done, or, or at least try to earn his favor. And so some of the things that, that maybe you're aware of where people attempt to do that is the belief in reincarnation, that, hey, I'll come back and I'll do it better next time. And Eventually, I'll kind of work out and, and become, you know, spiritual in that sense. Or the, the idea of purgatory that's not in the Bible, that I need to go endure some pain after death to, you know, kind of appease God's wrath against me when the Bible says it's all on Jesus. You don't have to continue to do that. And, and then there's, of course, moralism where I can, can be good enough and, and hopefully I'm good enough to, to, to get from this life into the next with with the Lord in, in heaven. And, and listen, Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but 
the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word, that phrase, free gift, it's free. Otherwise, it would say the reward is. It's not a reward. We didn't earn it. It's a, it's a free gift. So he says, here it is. You didn't earn it. I'm giving it to you. That's what we call, that's what we call grace. And so we take some steps. We like to take steps to maybe get joy. We can earn it, and we can feel like we deserve it, and maybe there's, there's joy in that, and there's not. There, there's ultimately not. The other, the other thing that people often try is, is situations, right? They, they, if I can just get myself into this particular situation, then, then maybe there's joy, or maybe if I can get out of this particular situation, then I'll, I'll have joy. And so for, for some people, it's marriage. If I can get married, if I can just find a man, or if I can find a woman, then there's going to be joy in that. And, and you're just thinking, Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me, baby. That's not how it works, right? It's, it's not how it works. You're going to find that you're going to marry a sinner, because we're all sinners. My wife quickly found that out. I'm sinful, right? I'm not perfect. I don't complete her. I don't try. I try to love her well, but Jesus completes my wife, right? That's, that's how it goes. And so we find out, okay, marriage doesn't complete me. There's, 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 there's happiness and love in that, but it's also tough. And so we move. let's have some kids, right? Family, that'll do it for me. I have some kids, and, and maybe they'll, they'll complete me. And we've seen a lot of messed up kids, right? Because mom or dad is trying to get their kid to complete them. They're trying to get all their joy from their kid and very needy parents, and it, it doesn't work. We believe in the doctrine of original sin. We believe that it's right there in Scripture, that we are sinful by nature. You have a kid, you'll learn that very quick. Yes, we don't have to teach them to sin. They just, they just are rebellious by nature. That's why King David said, Psalm 51, 5, uh, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin, my mother conceived me. It comes out sinful because we're, we're tainted uh, with sin from the conception. And, and so here's what that, that means. is my, my children are innately selfish. And so when they're born and I want to try to milk all the joy out of them I can get, you're going to find very quickly that there's, there, there's joy if it's in the Lord through them, but not if you just say, give me, give me, give me, and be a needy, a needy parent. And... and Life at home with kids is not always calm. It's certainly not always uh, joyous. And so we oftentimes move to all kinds of relationships. Some of you, marriage is not on the radar screen. You're trying to find a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're hoping that they'll complete you. You'll get some joy out of that. Maybe you just want a great friendship and get your joy out of that. Maybe it's a business relationship that you want to get. You want to get out of this job. You want to get into that. And, and, and you're just hoping maybe I'll get some, some joy out of it. Those are some situations that we try to get joy out of. Some other situations maybe we try to get joy out of is, is get out of the pain, whatever the pain is for you. Get out of the trial, whatever the trial is for you. Get out of that, that difficulty. Or maybe if I can live this kind of lifestyle. Here, here's one for you. We'll put it on the screen. It's already there. Uh, better home and garden, right? And so if you can have that kind of house, right? If, I mean, I don't know, but my office doesn't look like that. I don't know about yours. My office has like diapers and lightsabers and kid drool. All, it's just, my, we were laughing, my... my um, and my calendar, one of those desktop calendars, just chewed up because my little would be like trying to help my wife and do some work and hold my little, you know, nine-month-old, and she's chewing on my calendar, and so it's just all, it's nasty. My, I don't know, I, I, just, I just don't think that's, that's very realistic, right? If I can live that kind of lifestyle, if I can be uh, decluttered, life will be calm, like making my bed, and, and it'll be good, right? Or you see down here, the, the bottom, uh, if 
five pretty colors to soothe your rooms. And so if you can get your rooms painted a certain color, it'll be soothing enough, and all that stress will just melt away because you've got green walls. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it's going to, I guess that's how it's going to work. Situations is another thing that, that we try. And, and what you're going to find is that whatever situation you're, you're looking at to, to, to be in or to get out of, to get real and lasting joy, whether it's the relationship or the family or the home or the lifestyle or the career or painlessness, whatever it is, you're going to find that maybe you get that quick fix, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't last. And so joy is not found in the situation or in the stuff or in the, the steps. You know where I'm going. Joy is found in the Lord, and I want to support this uh, biblically. And so let me give you a working definition for joy. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Here's a working definition uh, for joy. Uh, joy is a deep and firm freedom to hope and delight in the Lord. We'll break that down as we go along. Uh, joy is a deep and firm freedom to hope and delight in the Lord. That word right there in the middle is huge. Joy equals freedom. Right? There is freedom in, in joy. And so let's go ahead and read uh, our verse for today one more time. In fact, I, I've been pulling one over on you. Our half a verse. That's all we're doing today. All right? You ready for this? Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1a. It's going to be a long, long series, guys. Here we go. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And so this book is a lot of stuff on joy, but this is huge. Paul and Timothy, I'm writing this as a servant of, of Christ Jesus. So we've got Paul, the apostle. What Paul usually does up front about this point in his letters is he starts to defend his apostleship. He doesn't have to do this. These people know him. They love him. They trust him. They know this guy is no doubt an apostle. He has been with the Lord. He has uh, been given the gift of apostleship. No doubt about that. So he doesn't even do that. He just will get into it next week. Uh, then we have as well as Timothy. So Timothy is, is that, that guy who was young. He had just picked him up to join the ministry. And then he goes in Acts 16 into uh, Macedonia and into Philippi with Timothy. And so he includes in Timothy here uh, on, on this, this greeting. And they refer to themselves as what? As servants of Christ Jesus. And now maybe you're thinking, okay, wait a second, Josh. We're talk- you just said joy is, is freedom. And these guys called themselves servants of Christ Jesus, which, side note, literally means slave. We're, we're slaves of Christ Jesus in this, this context. And, and, and as you read on throughout the, the rest of the chapter, you'll start to learn that, that, that Paul is in prison for Jesus at this point, likely in chains for Jesus at this point. He's also uh, likely facing the possibility of execution. He's at least facing it. That's why he says, if you look down to verse 20 and 21, he says, Christ will be honored in my body by life or by death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so this guy has been beaten, he has been in prison, and now he's got looming death right there. And so he has every conceivable reason on the planet at this point in time to be completely miserable. I mean, you look at this guy, you're like, I would be miserable if I was there. I would be, I would be miserable. But Paul's teaching and his example in this letter are joy in Jesus, joy in Jesus, joy in Jesus. I might be in chains, but I'm not a slave to anyone or anything other than Jesus. I'm not a, I'm not a slave to my circumstances. Hear me there. He's not a slave to his circumstances. He's a slave to, to Jesus. 
See, we're all slaves to something. I want to make sure we get that. We're all slaves to something. And unfortunately, most people, many people, loads of people, including Christians, are slaves to their circumstances, to the point where our circumstance in life, whatever that may be for you, whatever that looks like, and they change a lot, our, our, our circumstance really determines whether we're really going to live or not. And, and, and so we're, we're slaves to that. And, and so if you find your joy in your stuff, well, you're a slave to your, your stuff. And so that when your stuff fails you, your joy fails you. You lose your stuff, you lose your joy. You get it? We're, we're, we're slaves to our, our stuff. Money is tight, joy fades. Circumstance, right? You get the high life finally. You finally get that car that you've always wanted. And then your punk kid takes his bicycle. And, and you know where the edge of the handlebars there? And uh, scratches your new hot rod, right? And so your car's messed up. Where's your joy? And so we're, we're slaves to, to our stuff, right? You're, you're slaves to it. If we find joy in, in, in the steps... Well, we're slaves to the steps. And so uh, the execution of our morality, the, the steps to, to, to earn God's favor, as we like to make those up, because there really are none, uh, or religion, what happens is when we fail to perform, we realize we haven't done so hot, uh, we feel like spiritual failures, and we fail to, to have joy. If you're looking to, to, to find joy in your, your situation, you're a slave to your situation. So you lose your job, you lose your joy, right? If you, you, you don't get into the program that you wanted to get into, well, your joy is gone. If your health fades, your joy fades. If your, 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 your friend or somebody in your family dies, your joy dies, right? And, and you're a slave to your, your situation. And guys, you know me. I will preach this till I'm blue in the face, and I think I'm just about blue in the face. I've been, I've been preaching this like crazy, but you have to understand that God never, never promises us a life free from difficulty. I mean, Jesus is very clear in his life. If we're going to be Christ-like, he, he had a lot of difficulty. And then he also says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, write that reference down. We all should memorize that. John 16, And we think, God, where are you? Life is hard. John 16, and God's Holy Spirit will just go and file that right to the front of your brain there if you memorize that. And so you should memorize that. Very important. And it's coming, right? I've said this to you a lot. The pain is coming. The difficulty is coming. The trial is coming. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're just coming out of it and you've got the, the wind knocked out of you. And right now you're just trying to catch your, your breath. This is the nature of... Of, of sinning in a fall or living in a in a sinful and fallen world, it's it's broken, and so you will face uh, various trials of, of varying de- degrees. But the good news of Jesus Christ is redemption and restoration, right? Redemption and restoration that Jesus is redeeming and He's restoring this this fallen world. That that God came to this earth, Christmas, right? Lived. Life in our shoes, and yet he did so, Hebrews says, without sin. He did, it, he did it perfectly, and then he took on our consequence of sin, right? He, he died for us. I can't die for you, because I'm not perfect, so I, therefore, because of my sin, deserve death as well. But he said, I'm sinless, and so he dies the death he didn't have to, and he died it in our place, and then he resurrects to life victoriously, reigning as king of kings and lord of lords, and calling us to trust him. 
to trust Him. And maybe you need to trust Him in your pain and, and, and suffering. So often what happens in our pain and suffering, even for Christians, is we find ourselves saying, I thought God was sovereign. I thought God was gracious with His sovereignty. I thought God was sovereign, gracious, and good. Well then, why doesn't He do something about this? Can I give you an answer? It's the most common question we get all the time. He did. He did do something about it. He took it all upon himself on the cross, and Revelation 21.4 tells us for Christians, here's the end of the story. We know the end of the story, and it is that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so he has done something about our sin and the subsequent pain and difficulty and suffering that we face as a result of our sin. He did something about it. And in his goodness, what he also does is he redeems those tears. And so he's dealt with it, and the end is in sight. But also the tears that you face and are, are, are crying and struggling through, he redeems those. He says they're not wasted. Not a single tear is going to fall to the ground that I'm not going to use for your good and my glory. He does that. It's incredible. I hope you get that. Uh, he has put an end to suffering, pain, and death. The death that, that we deserve because of our sin. And so that understand that that day is appointed. The end is appointed. It's, he, he knows when it is. But we're still in process. And we're, we're getting to that day. And so did God do something about it? Yes, he's, he put an end to it. And he's then also going to allow the process to getting there to really make us stronger, to glorify him, and to draw people to himself. And what it does is when you get to the end, and you're in the presence of Jesus, Scripture tells us, and you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. If you're a Christian, you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. And so what Scripture tells us is that when we get there, here's, here's what's not going to happen. You're not going to say, God, why didn't you do something about all the pain that I was in? What's going to happen when you get there is you're going to fall to your knees and you're going to say, thank you, God, for your grace. And you ended it. I'd have to endure that forever and ever and ever and ever. And what will happen is his goodness will be magnified because of the pain that we've experienced on this earth. It's so beautiful how he redeems and uses all of the difficulty in so many different ways. His glory, our strengthening, our endurance, our good, to magnify the, the greatness of who he is when we're in his presence in heaven, and then also to draw other people to himself so that when people see us with joy, when we're going through difficulty, with hope, when we're going through difficulty, and they say, what is up with that? We get to say, Jesus is up with that. He's my joy, not my circumstances. And so with all sincerity, I know it could be trite, but I mean this with all sincerity, you're experiencing pain and difficulty right now, I just want to say this. Trust in Jesus and hang in there because he has put an end to it all. He has already put an end to it all and it's coming and he will wipe away the tears if you trust in him. And so hear this. This is really, really important. I say this a lot throughout the course of this series. Our joy is not contingent upon our circumstances because our joy is in the Lord. Get that. Our joy is not contingent upon our circumstances because our joy is in the Lord. And that's why you can see Christians, maybe you know some, or people like 
Paul who have had a lot of difficulty, but also somehow have joy, because their joy is unconventional joy. It's not the joy that the world uh, thinks is, is joy, it's Jesus' joy. And what happens is you'll even see Christians who lack the big three, right? Not all Christians will lack the big three. Some Christians are going to get married, have the beautiful family, have the home, have some stuff. That's, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Paul nailed that down, Romans 14, 14, right? However, a lot of Christians won't have some of these things. And so they'll have very little stuff, but a whole lot of joy. Or they'll have uh, little to show for the steps. In other words, like the Apostle Paul, my background, I wasn't really good, right? I didn't do a lot of moral things, yet God saved me. And so my background looks pretty ugly, but I got a whole lot of joy because Jesus in his grace reached out to me and gave me life. I didn't earn it. He did it. He did it all. So joy. Uh, You'll see Christians with a lot of situational difficulty, right? Maybe they're unable to have kids or suffering miscarriages, but a whole lot of joy. No kids, a lot of joy. Maybe fading health. Really poor health, really great joy. You see that a lot in Christians. Rejected by men, a whole lot of joy. It's a really beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful testimony to the world. And so our joy, it's not in our circumstances because our joy is in the, the Lord. Now, this is so huge. So simple, but so huge, because I see this play out in Christians' lives time and time and time and time again, where our circumstances really determine our faith, right? And so if life is good, well, God is real then. If life is hard, well, I thought God was real. Where's God? I don't know. I'm questioning God. And we have to, we have to lean back on, on, on that passage, right? God's not in question because life is difficult. Don't expect that life is going to be easy for you when life was brutal for Jesus, right? He said the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. We're not owed a home. He owes us nothing, right? And so when life is tough, don't let it lead you to, well, I thought God was real, but maybe I was wrong. And here's the problem with that. This, this kind of thinking that so many Christians even get trapped into, it, it really stems from this, this idea that my purpose on this earth is for God to serve me. And that's not our purpose on this earth. Our purpose on this earth is for us to serve God. Right? Verse 1. He's going to get into this long tree on, on, on joy, but he establishes up front, I'm a slave. I serve God. I'm a slave to Jesus. And yet, let me show you how I can have joy. Here's what Jesus chose to do with me. Throw me in this jail. Let me endure this difficulty. Let me be beaten. Let me have no friends. So Philippians, I'm writing you this letter right now where you have a family. God's called me to not get married or have a family. Where, where you're, you have a job and, and you're being fed well and I'm not being fed very much. You have friendships and a lot of fellowship where you're at. I'm lonely here. Chapter 1. And yet he, through all of it, 14 times, joy, rejoice, joy, joy, rejoice. You've heard it. You've heard it said, um, Romans 8, 30, 28. Um, I want you to listen carefully because it's dangerous when you have familiar passages that you've heard a million times. Make sure we get this. Um, here's what Paul says here to the Romans. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So he redeems our tears for joy. So the pain works together for 
for, for good. He redeems our tears and, and, and causes good out of it. But why? For his purpose. We're here for his purpose. We're called for his purpose, not for him to serve you. We have to get that. We really have to get that. What that means is, is, is for, for so many of us, life is going well. God is good, right? We, we, that, that's right. Life is well. God is good. And the gifts, the good gifts that he gives us are for his purposes and for good, for our good and the good of others. But when life is going very bad for you, guess what? God is good. And those gifts that look a little different are also used for your good and for his purposes. And so he works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for his purpose. We are slaves to him. We're slaves to him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Our, our, our common mistake is that God can only use our easy circumstances. Life is easy. That's what God wants to use. But no, he wants to use the tough stuff as well. And some of us are going to get it more than others. Paul certainly did. But God is still good. And so for some of us, it's, God, if you give me a, an easy situation, you give me money, I'll glorify you with my money. Everybody says that, right? I hear that all the time. I really wish God would give me the spiritual gift of giving. Give me some money to supply that gift. And then, man, I'll, I'll be used for his purposes, right? You've said that before? You know you have. But God might choose to call you to glorify him through your, your suffering and your difficulty. And we should be joyful in ease and in trial. Think about Solomon. Here's Solomon, King Solomon, son of David. This guy had the big three, right? He had the, the big three. He had the stuff, he had the steps, and he had the situation. The way it looked for him was wealth, wisdom, and women. Some guys are like, that's the situation I want, right? No. Because he goes on, he writes his little book, Ecclesiastes, and what does he start it out with? Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. It, it didn't do it for me. Joy is not found here, apparently. He says, looking back, old and gray after many, many wasted, wasted years. However, God didn't allow it to be wasted. He uses it. And so our world is here, too. Lacking so much joy. Let me, let me read you um, some, some statistics here, and we'll start to round third base. I, I just read an article today, and I, I wanted to share some of these statistics with you. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Uh, pretty, pretty kind of shocking statistics um, from uh, a CNN health article that I was reading. Um, here's the first one. Adult use of antidepressants almost tripled in the 90s. Tripled for all adults on antidepressants. Tripled in that decade. Crazy. Antidepressants are the most prescribed drugs in the U.S. In our country, antidepressants, the most described drugs. It's crazy. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of antidepressants. More than blood pressure medication. I mean, you get that? That's, that's crazy. One in every four adults, 25% of every adult is going to have a major depressive episode in their lifetime. Like, can't get out of bed, can't move, major depressive episode in their lifetime. Now, here's, here's what I'm not trying to say. I'm not trying to say that there's never, ever, ever, ever a, medi- a, a need for medication. But what I'm trying to say is it's pretty clear through these statistics that we have an epidemic on our hands. People lack joy. They are depressed. And the good news is we know from the scriptures where to find it. Here's what the, the doctor um, interviewed throughout this article ends up saying. He says, too many people are taking drugs when they need to be making changes in their lives. 
secular doctor. Too many people are taking drugs, he says, when they need to just be making changes in their life. What are the changes? Can I tell you what the changes are? It's find your joy, not in your circumstance, but in Christ. Joy in, not circumstance, but in, in, in Christ. Because we can't always change our circumstance, right? You can't say, I'm not going to have cancer any longer. You can't say, I'm not going to lose my job, right? You can't say, we're going to stop having miscarriages. You can't always change your circumstance. Some circumstances because of your sin. We, we know that, right? Sometimes our sin brings about our circumstance, but not always. And so back to our definition of joy. Joy is a deep and firm freedom to hope and delight in the Lord. So let's think through this and then we'll conclude. Joy is deep. In other words, joy is not this shallow, joy in the Lord is not this kind of shallow, trite excuse to live life like everything's okay when you're really struggling. You got that friend? Just like, you know that life is hard. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Liar. Be honest with me. Right? Let's be honest. Right? We, we should be an honest people. Being a Christian with joy doesn't mean that you put a smile on your face and pretend like everything's amazing all the time because you're a liar. Right? You, you don't, don't do that. And, and, and you, can't, you, you just can't do that. And in fact, I love about Paul is that the guy is honest. You read some of his other, other writings and the guy is just straight up honest. Uh, he, he says, I have this thorn in my flesh that, that is plaguing me. This, this thing that is just constantly plaguing me. And I love 2 Corinthians uh, 1.8. I don't love it because it's a good... I love it because he's just straight up honest. And he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So Paul knows a little bit about depression and difficulty, but the guy also had a whole lot of joy because his joy was deep. It wasn't just, oh, I'm, I'm good, take it. No, he was honest. And up front, we should be honest and up front with everybody. How you doing? Awful, right? Be honest, right? I love a, a specific few of you guys who are just straight up. Like, awful. Life stinks right now. I don't get what's going on. I have questions for God, but I trust that he's in control. See, there's joy in the midst of honesty and, and difficulty. So joy is deep, but joy is also firm, which means that, listen, in the good times, your joy is there and solid. In the bad times, your joy is there and solid. It's not like your joy gets shaken with every difficulty that comes, because guess what? If that's the case, and it's not the joy that's found in the Lord, right? It's that quick, kind of artificial, false joy, because God is good, and there is joy in Him. And then finally, joy is freedom. We, we covered that. Freedom to be able to hope and delight in the Lord. That you can hope and, and delight in the Lord. And so we have been freed from living chained to our circumstances. So when our circumstance goes this way, our joy goes with it. We're, we're kind of freed from that. And we're freed to this. We're freed to hope and delight in, in the Lord. Where we're not chained to circumstances, but like Paul, I'm chained to Christ. Right? I'm a slave of, of Christ, who good news is he's the perfect master. So it's not like you're chained and a slave to a tyrant. You're, you're chained to a very good God, and you want to be where he is. And so you're chained to him, you want to be where he is. Right? That's why in, in John 15, 15, he says this, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does, know, does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. And as a friend, you can know what I'm doing. You can know that life is awful right now, but I also know that God is very good. 
I know that he's using this to to glorify himself through me, to strengthen me, and to serve others, and to magnify his goodness when the end comes. And I can say, wow, this far outweighs that. And I wouldn't have understood how good this is if I hadn't have had that life on earth. That is just a little dot on the spectrum of eternity. And so right now, it seems like forever. But I promise you, I remember, I remember realizing this when I was like in fifth grade, that wow, every year seems like time goes faster, right? And you'll continue to say that the rest of your life. And so you're like, wow, where did that year go? Where did that, it's just, where did that decade go, right? We, we see that that happens. So hold on, trust in Christ. And I mean that with sincerity and not trying to be trite in the slightest. Choose joy every time. We were, Thursday night, we had the West Roxbury Connection Group at my house. And uh, it was family night, which is really kind of funny and cool because we have all the kids there. And so the lesson is more kind of geared towards the youngest kid in the room, which is the youngest coherent kid in the room, which is uh, my three-year-old. And so we were kind of geared to him, and then everybody else gleans a little bit from it. And we, we, we learned Philippians 4, verse 4. There's a cute song that goes with it, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Some of you know that song. You've got to clap after. It's very good. In fact, we'll be uh, quoting Bible verses through my, my children's uh, Bible verse packet. They have like this packet of index cards, and they'll memorize their verses. And we'll read it, and my little son will go... Right, and we read, even though it's just part of the song. It's, it's awesome. And so here's what we were doing. We read this, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What does re mean? Re means do it again. So rejoice. Again, I will say, rejoice. He's just do it again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Joy is a, a choice over and over and over again. And so when it's the world's kind of conventional joy, that in difficulty, there's no joy. The Bible says always. You can always have joy. So choose unconventional joy. And so the question is, as we close tonight, are you going to be chained to your circumstance or are you going to be chained to Christ? And I don't know where every single person in the room is uh, tonight, but I would, I would call you to be chained to, to Christ. Paul is literally in chains. And he says, but for me and my boy Timothy here, we are chained to Christ. We have joy because we are chained to Christ. And so we, we hope in the future, that's the very end, in eternity, we hope in that. But we also delight today. We also can enjoy him. And though today is difficult, we also glean joy from the Lord and what he's, he's up to in me and what he has done um, in history. With the gospel, we savor him. We find joy in that every day. So where are you at tonight? Christian, maybe you need to realign your, yourself a little bit here with real and biblical joy. Maybe you've gone off a little bit. Maybe you're looking for um, joy in some of those artificial joy areas or avenues. Maybe for you and here, you're, you're a non-Christian. You, you never trusted in Jesus. and You need to give your life to Jesus. And you need to say yes to, to Jesus. I, I want to be chained to Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. And life might be hard as a result. We don't know what your story is going to look like. But I just want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want to be with him. I want to trust him. He dealt with my sin. So I turn from my sin. I turn to him. I trust in him. He nailed it to the cross. He's my way to eternity because I never can be good enough. And if I try, how good is good enough? You can't know. Jesus is good enough. Trust in Jesus. Be chained to him. There's joy on earth 
and there's eternal joy in heaven with the Lord. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the night. Lord, we thank you that you make yourself known to us through your word. God, you're so gracious. So gracious. God, I just pray for everyone in this room tonight. For the Christians, Lord, may they realign themselves to what biblical joy is. And for those who don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray that tonight, in this moment, they would just call out to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. I want to trust in you. I want to try to earn your favor because I can't. I want to trust in you and let you change me from the inside out. And so I commit them to you, Lord. Would you just continue to stir their heart? May they talk to somebody tonight. Would you commit these things to you, Lord?